Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Coming up here on Detroit Today, we're going to be talking about environmental issues here in the city of Detroit and the metro Detroit region. We're facing a whole host of issues, including flooding, forecasts of longer and more intense heat waves, low air quality in some areas as well. The folks from Planet Detroit will be joining us live coming up on Detroit Today. Detroit Today. I'm Amanda LeClaire filling in today for Stephen Henderson. I want to thank you for tuning into the show today. I'm very excited about it. We're going to be talking about a whole host of environmental issues happening here in the city, affecting not only Detroit, but the southeast Michigan region as well. Now, cities are often sites of diamondism. They attract people that push culture, including different ways of conducting art, work, and writing new narratives that map onto both our past and future. And that quality that cities often hold may never be as important as they are right now. Rising temperatures, more frequent chaotic storms, and the continued pollution of our water and air means troubling new problems for these old industrial cities like Detroit. And this is especially true here, where sewage is often packed up. Streets have been flooding even after light rains. Garbage and litter seem to be everywhere, and there are more and more pockets of the city that are becoming lethally hot for residents, especially when temperatures in the summer climb above 90 degrees. And that means Detroit and Southeast Michigan need to harness their strengths. We need to change. It means the need for more trees that offer an abundance of shade, more resilient infrastructure that prevents the major flooding we've been seeing uh, happening more and more in the past few years. And it means creating green space for both uh, enjoyment and to cool down the city when it easily heats up when temperatures get hot in the summer. Now, there are a number of climate-related issues that are as plaguing Detroiters, but three of those are of particular interest, and we're going to be talking about those today. Those include flooding, pollution, high asthma rates, and city spaces lacking in tree canopies. And to talk about this issue this morning and what the city is doing to address them and what projects we need to prioritize, we have Nina Ignaziak and Brian Allnut here with us. Nina is the founder and editor of Planet Detroit, and Brian is a contributing editor for the local climate media outlet. Nina and Brian, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, really good to talk to you guys. I know we're going to get into a lot of stuff this hour, but let's start with the issue of flooding. Now, uh, the problem with flooding has to do with Detroit's aging infrastructure. And of course, climate change is bringing more significant heavy rains uh, to the city as well. So what government agency specifically, is it city, state or, or federal, is most responsible for allowing this infrastructure to, to fall apart the way it has? Yeah, well, that is a, com- a complex question, um, and I'll talk about the two government agencies that you know most closely bear responsibility for the flooding and infrastructure that we have 
here in Detroit, and those include the Detroit Water and Sewer Department, or DWSD, and the Great Lakes Water Authority, which is GLIWA. Um, so GLIWA handles regional management of the water and wastewater systems across eight counties, um, and they provide drinking water to almost half, about 40% of Michigan residents, and about a third of uh, residents get their wastewater services from GLIWA. Um, DWSD owns and operates the infrastructure within the city of Detroit and leases um, treatment facilities to GLIWA. So GLIWA was formed um, in 2014 near the end of Detroit's bankruptcy. Um, and they, in doing so, uh, acquired billions of dollars in outstanding debt. And the idea was that having a, an agency with a better cre credit rating could um, allow it to spend less on debt financing and hopefully free up cash to spend on capital improvements. Um, so, you know, this, as far as who's more responsible for the flooding, you know, both of those agencies play a role and there's been a lot of finger pointing about who is more responsible. Um, but, you know, ultimately, uh, they're going to need to work together to fix the problem. And, um, Funding, of course, is an issue. Um, this year, Detroit Glee will, will charge Detroit more than $194 million for sewage, or 40% of the regional sewer, sewage budget. Um, when Detroiters account for just 25% of Gliwa's uh, sewage customers and are only one of, its, one of its 19 wholesale customers. So Detroiters really pay an outsized proportion of the region's uh, shared sewer cost. And we talked to one expert that believes this is an inequitable arrangement and needs to be changed. Um, but really, it goes to it goes to funding. And um, I know Brian had something to add about kind of the the federal role here. Yeah, yeah. And I, I would just say that when we talk about who's responsible, the the level of federal uh, spending on water infrastructure has really fallen off in recent decades. Um, and so Milwaukee, who are a regional example of working proactively to address combined sewer overflows and other issues with, with stormwater, they were able to make really big investments in their cities uh, because they started doing this work in the 1970s and 1980s when there was a lot more federal uh, spending available. But I, I think all agencies in question have sort of failed to anticipate the climate impacts that, you know, at least in the Midwest, we've been warned about since the 2009 National Climate Assessment that said we were going to be seeing more significant storms in the region. Yeah, I, I mean, while while the budget for infrastructure has been falling, of course, uh, nationally, our budget for military has just been going up and up and up. And I know residents, not just here in Detroit or Metro Detroit, but uh, all, all over the nation, there are major infrastructure problems happening. And I know people, at least voters, are talking about it. But have you guys been seeing uh, those running for office, those in office, uh, addressing addressing those concerns about the infrastructure problems? Yeah, I think uh, I think we are seeing some action on it. Governor Whitmer just passed a bipartisan spending bill that has a lot of money for water infrastructure. So at least in the state of Michigan, there's some sense that this is a shared problem because there's issues with water, whether it's drinking water, flooding, dams, all of that stuff all over the state. So we are seeing some, some bipartisan action on the issue, but 
you know, as well as money from federal COVID relief that's going to, you know, fund some of these improvements. But it can't just be a one-time thing. Experts are saying you know, we need to have these sorts of major national investments in infrastructure more frequently going forward. We have some uh, construction projects happening, you know, right now. Summer, of course, here in Michigan, so there's lots of construction. But notably, uh, I-75 is undergoing some some major uh, repaving and rebuilding of uh, of bridges over the freeway. With those, uh, with that project in particular, but other projects that y- you guys are uh, know of happening here in the southeast region, is climate change being taken into uh, account when these these projects are are now being uh, enacted? Um, I'll, I'll answer that one. I, I think t- to a large extent, no. Um, there's a there's an effort kind of just getting started that's led by SUNCOG, the Southeast Michigan Council of Governments, uh, to look at precipitation projections and start to map that back onto design standards uh, for things like pipe sizing and, and how we should be dealing with stormwater. Um, and that's really just getting underway. And it's not just getting underway uh, here, but, you know, across the country. These are things that... Um, these are things that are just beginning to be considered. Um, so, you know, things that are going in the ground right now are not necessarily taking into account what the rainfall is going to be like in 10, 15, 20 years. We're talking to Nina Ignaziak and Brian Allnut of the environmental uh, digital news outlet Planet Detroit here on Detroit Today. You can give us a call and join the conversation at 313-577-1019. 313-577-1019. We're talking about environmental issues all hour long, but specifically right now, flooding. Have you been uh, affected by some of these major flooding incidents that we've seen here in Metro Detroit? Notably last June, a lot of flooding in Gross Point and Dearborn. What would you like to see happen to to address these concerns? And and are you worried about a uh, further flooding happening, especially this summer? 313-577-1019 is the number to call and join the conversation today on Detroit Today. Uh, Nina and Brian, I just mentioned, you know, uh, the a couple neighborhoods that were really affected last June by those huge storms we had, uh, Dearborn and Gross Point. Uh, what other areas of the region have you guys seen be really dealing with this this issue of, of unusual flooding? Yeah, it seems like areas on the east side of the city along the river were hit really hard. Um, also, Warrendale has been hit by a lot of flooding. And a previous study from Wayne State and University of Michigan that came out a little bit ago, found that about 43% of Detroiters had experienced flooding. But in a neighborhood like Warrendale, 64% of residents had flooded in the last year, and many had seen three or four flood events. And I've heard similar things from people in Jefferson Chalmers, where not only is this something that you know happens every year or two, it might happen several times in a single year, which can just be really difficult to recover from when you're having to pay for cleanup or to replace appliances all the time. Join the conversation here on Detroit Today, 313-577-1019, talking about some of the most significant environmental issues that are affecting uh, not only Detroit, but the whole Southeast Michigan region here on Detroit Today, 313-577-1019. Okay, so Nina and Brian, uh, you know, we mentioned Warrendale, we mentioned some of these these areas that have been affected. How significantly are 
these these homes and these neighborhoods uh, being hit? And and at what point, you know, what point do do we, I guess, just move back from from the from the river, or move back, or move into some areas where there's not going to be significant flooding? Because if this is happening over and over again, if it's due to happen nearly every year, and there's not a concrete plan to to address the infrastructure here in the city. Uh, at what point is it is it time to just uh, move back? I guess give up the fight there. Yeah, I, I think that's a really difficult question to answer. People love their homes. People love their neighborhoods. Uh, it's going to be a hard call to make to do that sort of managed retreat. Um, I know that groups working in Jefferson Chalmers have been working to help people move some of their appliances to upper floors and you know, put in put in other things that sort of help manage the risk of flooding in place. And so I think that's where these groups are concentrating most of their effort now. But um, but it is a question that's worth asking. And, you know, I'm sure residents in certain areas will, will get to a point where they're cleaning up after these things multiple times a year and it just becomes too expensive to maintain. Yeah, I mean, here in the Midwest, here in Detroit, we're looking nationally and we we know we're expecting major flooding due to climate change on both coasts. Uh, but, you know, I haven't seen it quite talked about here in the Great Lakes region region as much. So I want to go to a caller right now in Jefferson Chalmers. John is joining us here on Detroit Today. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks for having this conversation. Uh, so it's kind of ironic. We had a meeting with the city last week about the tire dams which were installed in 2020 uh, for the high Great Lakes level. And, uh, you know, we have a, we have a two, uh, two problems here. We have the, wa- the water from the Detroit River coming in here, and then we are sitting in the low point where all the infrastructure came through here back in the 1900s. And so... Mm-hmm. They, I don't think they truly understand how to deal with this. First of all, Jefferson Chalmers is called the Grand Marais uh, back from the 1700s, the Great Marsh. And basically this entire area south of Jefferson was filled in with excavations from downtown when the skyscrapers were built. And we had the Fox Creek. This, the Connor Creek and the Milk River running from Macomb County all the way up into Elmwood Cemetery. And then all this stuff was filled in, and the drainage systems were all changed. And then Metropolitan Detroit was built north of here, and all the pipes still come through here going to Zug Island. And uh, it, it, the, it, the, 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 the challenges are complex. And so they came to us last week uh, with three options to deal with the Great Lakes water, and two of them include closing off the Fox Creek Canal and the what we call the Phillip Canal, and then reducing the Lakewood Canal, which is the largest canal that carries the sailboats and what have you. They want to reduce that by half and then install some kind of lock mechanism to install during high water and then shut off the entire canal. Uh, We have no idea what the cost would be for that. But even if this was all successful as it was done, if the Great Lakes water level continues to rise as it has, that would be ineffective. And 
The other issue is is that all the water from the sewers and drains all the way up into Macomb County still runs through here, and we still have to fix mm-hmm. that. John, thank you so much for for calling into the show. Uh, that is very, very much of something I wanted to wanted to ask Nina and Brian. Is that you know traditionally uh, this area, Detroit, has been a swamp. It's been a marsh. It was known as that for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. And then we came in and we filled it in, and we we built houses and businesses and roads. Uh, in the climate forecast that you guys have seen for for this region, do they make an estimate that 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 this area could return to more of a marshy marshy area? Well, the the, the forecasts that I've seen basically predict that we are going to continue to see more intense rainfalls in the upper Midwest, and so, you know. As the caller mentioned, all of that infrastructure, engineered infrastructure, was built in in these low points, and then we added the suburbs on top of it. So they're already stressed and already aging, and you know, adding all of this additional rainfall is just going to continue to stress them more. Um, so, you know, I think it's it's just going to be harder to engineer ourselves out of out of these the natural systems that are here. Um, you know, the the connecting channel between Lake St. Clair, Detroit River, um, connecting Lake Huron and Lake Erie was all very much marshland, um, as the caller said. And so we're trying to pump that water out and, and have uh, neighborhoods and, and businesses, and it's just going to get more and more expensive. And, you know, I agree at some point, you know, depending on what happens with climate change and how far it goes, um, it may not, it may no longer be feasible. I have a question as well about uh, about homeowners insurance uh, in in this region and and especially considering climate change. I uh, is there I mean is it feasible for residents to be able to get insurance for flooding and other effects of of the worst of climate change or or is that something that is that is not even even being talked about yet? I, I think it's starting to be talked about. Um, you know, FEMA came through and designated much of just Jefferson Chalmers a flood uh, zone where it had not been before, um, which is going to require people to get some flood insurance in some cases. And, you know, obviously that's going to be a cost. Um, but I think that the insurance industry right now is trying to figure out, you know, what, what it can do about climate change and what it can and can't cover. Um, so I think that's, you know, we're just starting to think about and understand what those impacts are going to be. Um, some people who did have some flood insurance on their homeowners insurance during the last flood, uh, in June, 2021, were able to get some relief, um, but maybe not as much as they needed to cover all of the work that they needed to do and replace all of their appliances and all of those things. So this is going to be a cost that, you know, society is going to bear and we don't have a plan right now for how we're going to pay for it. Again, we're talking to Nina Ignazek and Brian Alnut of the environmental uh, digital news outlet Planet Detroit. You can check out all their work at planetdetroit.org. Here on Detroit Today, we also want to hear from you. We'd love you to join the conversation. Have you been hit by flooding? Are you worried about the increasing number of hotter days and length of heat waves that are predicted to be happening here in the Detroit region? Are you impacted by the high levels of pollution here in the city? Call us 313-577-1019, 313-577-1019 to join the conversation on Detroit Today. We're going to continue talking about some of the most pressing climate issues affecting Detroiters coming up after this here on WDET.
day here on WDET-FM. Happy Friday. I'm Amanda LeClaire filling in today for Stephen Henderson. And we're talking about some of the most pressing climate change issues and environmental issues happening in the Metro Detroit region this morning with Nina Ignazek and Brian Alnut of the digital environmental news outlet Planet Detroit. We are going to get to some callers, Nina and Brian. I want to let people know that they can uh, get on the phone lines. Talk to us at 313-577-1019. Are you worried about climate change here in the city and the region? Have you been dealing with a lot of flooding? Have you been dealing with the amount of litter and garbage in the streets that just seems to be everywhere? We'd like you to join the conversation at 313-577-1019. 313-577-1019. Let's go to... To James in Detroit. Welcome to Detroit Today, James. Yeah, how are you? Doing good. What's on your mind this morning? Um, I'm a lifelong Detroiter living up, living at 7 Mile and uh, I-94 and then Alter and Jefferson, so I'm used to the flooding. But we used to take care of it the old-fashioned way by putting uh, riser pipes in our floor drains which basically when basements flood, they'll only flood two to three feet. So if you have a a pipe, a PVC pipe, uh, coming out of your floor drain two feet during the raining seasons, when the water backs up, it never comes out of the pipe into your basements. So that would eliminate all of the basement uh, flooding and damage. We used to do, do that. Like I say, when I was in high school back in the 70s. Uh, That's a great point that you bring up, James. That's something I wanted to talk to uh, Nina and Brian about is some of these uh, short-term fixes uh, that Mm -hmm. city residents and and maybe the city could help residents do to protect them from flooding right now. Yeah, I I haven't heard of the the basement uh, riser pipe um, approach. I, I, I think it probably could work if you're only getting... A little bit of flooding, but you know, as we saw last year, people's uh, basements flooded up to their first floors. So, um, in that case, I don't, I don't think that solution would um, make a difference. But the city is rolling out some programs right now to try to help, uh, in particular, eleven neighborhoods that are really vulnerable to flooding, and it's called their basement backup program. And they they say they'll invest about fifteen million um, to install help homeowners help homeowners install backflow preventers which are valve devices that allow sewage and stormwater to exit the home um, but not not regain entry back into the home Um, and they're also working to help uh, homeowners install some pumps which are just pumps that move water from the lowest point of the basement um, outside of the home they're also working with residents to disconnect downspouts from the drainage system of the home and direct that runoff into the yard, which can help. Um, so all of these things can help, um, but none of them are necessarily going to be long-term solutions for the kind of flooding that we're starting to see happen every few years um, here in Detroit. Um, and it's important to note that you know these mechanical valves, these backflow preventers, they need to be maintained they can break, they can get clogged by things like cooking grease. Um, So people have to maintain them. The other thing that people need to know uh, is that the line between your house and the sewage system, so the line that connects you uh, to the main sewage line is your um, responsibility. 
And so you need to get make sure that that's cleaned and snaked out um, probably every year or so. I've always lived in a house that I needed to do it like a little less than a year. <laughs> Otherwise, I would get basement backups. So um, those are things that, you know, homeowners can do to at least kind of reduce the problem, but um, certainly not going to solve it. Thank you so much for the call, James. You can join the conversation yourself at 313-577-1019 here on Detroit Today. Talking about some of the most pressing environmental issues happening in the Southeast Michigan region and here in the city of Detroit. 313-577-1019. Before we move on to talking about uh, some of the issues with uh, uh, predicted longer and hotter heat waves that are going to be happening in this region, Nina and Brian, any last thoughts on on the situation with, with this increasing flooding here in the region? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think one thing to note is that um, what, what we've seen work in other cities, no, notably Milwaukee, which I've mentioned before, was, um, you know, they just built a really big reservoir uh, underground that they called the deep tunnel that was able to store hundreds of millions of gallons of water. And that's sort of an old school solution. You're basically just building a giant tube to hold onto the water um, and then slowly release it back into the lake in their case. And, you know, I think there are some issues with that. It's very expensive. It may be difficult, if not impossible, to really outbuild the amount of water that we're likely going to see in coming years, but experts I've talked to to have said that some amount of that sort of gray infrastructure is probably going to be needed to help manage water, Um, in addition to green infrastructure, which is talked about sometimes. Um, So trees, rain gardens, permeable pavers, things like that, um, that help infiltrate rainwater could help a little bit, but it's also unclear how much that can help in Detroit proper. Uh, the Herb Family Foundation did a study on that, and they basically found that that was going to help more in outlying areas rather than in the city itself. Again, we're talking to Nina Ignazek and Brian Allnut of the environmental news outlet Planet Detroit. You can read all their work and subscribe to their newsletter at planetdetroit.org. We're also taking your calls here on Detroit Today, 313-577-1019. Are you concerned about the effects of climate change? Are you concerned about environmental issues happening here in the region? 313-577-1019. That is the number to call to join the conversation here on Detroit Today. I'd like to move on to... to uh, another issue, uh, heat waves. Uh, Brian, just last year you wrote a, a big feature article for Planet Detroit about uh, how researchers are predicting con- uh, combined longer heat waves, hotter heat waves here uh, in the region, and that is going to possibly really disrupt our uh, elect- uh, electrical here in the Sierra elect- electrical infrastructure. We are predicting uh, com- uh, rolling blackouts and brownouts to be happening more and more often. Uh, so talk to me about your article, because you, you say that researchers are saying these combined heat waves and the uh, lack of uh, solid electrical uh, utilities and infrastructure here in the region could make some incredibly bad uh, natural disasters be happening here in the city. Yeah. Um, a combined heat wave and power failure is about the most dangerous thing that a city can imagine right now. And we're already dealing with a lot of blackouts in Detroit. Uh, Detroiters 
routinely lose power as a result of storms. Sometimes those happen during the summer and coincide with heat waves. And so the real danger is if we have a long multi-day heat wave and, uh, and power failure where people are just unable to cool down. Um, it's really, it's really when heat builds up in the body over time that it becomes super deadly. That's what happened in Chicago in 1995 where they had this long multi-day heat wave. But the, the problem in Detroit is that people might be in danger even without a power failure. Many Detroiters don't have air conditioning or can't afford to run their air conditioning. So anytime it gets really hot, people can be in danger. You also write that D- Detroit may be especially vulnerable to these kind of power failures. Michigan ranks fourth nationally for the number of hours each year that the average customer is is without power. Uh, what is what is the situation here in the city of Detroit and in the region versus other major metropolitan areas? Um, well, I mean, we've just had a lot of power failures in, in recent years. Um, it seems like there are some issues with our trans, you know, trans transmission lines, like that are referred to as the backbone of the power grid. I know consumers, um, on the West side of the state is, is working on that. TGE has said they're making some investments in that as well. Um, but it's probably a whole host of issues that are, uh, contributing to this reliability problem, including, you know, a possible failure to keep up with tree trimming. Um, and then just, yeah, just the more powerful storms that we're seeing more frequently now. We're going to go to a caller right now. You can join the conversation on Detroit Today, 313-577-1019. Are you concerned about uh, the effects of climate change here in the city? Uh, Have you been uh, dealing with flooding, dealing with uh, power outages? Uh, Join the conversation with us in Planet Detroit at 313-577-1019. Let's go to Teresa in Beverly Hills. Teresa, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, and thank you for discussing this um, this topic. Um, my comment is that I think our government needs to invest in research because the solar panels we have now, the wind, uh, the the well, harnessing harnessing energy from the wind, is we don't have the top technology to actually replace the fossil fuels yet. We need battery research. And, you know, also, uh, and I think that the, it's not going to just happen on its own by the private industry because so much money is being made from the oil industry and the fossil fuels. So I think the government really has to push that as a, for, um, for benefit of all of us and future generations. And, you know, I'm a teacher, so... I, I think that education needs to get stepped up for connecting overpopulation to uh, to the climate change. I mean, we're, we're you know we need people to be aware if they chose to have six offspring or whatever. That is really not going to be sustainable for our Mother Earth in the future. Interesting point, uh, Teresa. Thank you for calling in. And I think you hit upon something important there uh, about green infrastructure. Uh, and Nina and Brian, I'd like you to address this. Uh, when did uh, the 
push or the, the, you know, the, the interest in green infrastructure, when did it become such a politicized issue? Uh, has it always been that way or has it just been an, an increasingly polarized uh, issue here in the U.S. over the last few years? Um, I, I, I guess, you know, there's two things. There's green infrastructure, um, which certainly tree canopy can address the heat issues. Um, but then, of course, there's also renewable energy and um, energy efficiency and, and battery storage, which the caller uh, mentioned. And those are all things that are going to require leadership on the federal level um, and a commitment to invest in um, battery research and storage and um, solar panels. You know, people people want clean energy, um, but the way that the structures are set up with our utilities right now, um, the return on investment for you know putting solar panels on their roof is still pretty long and maybe out of reach for a lot of people. Um, the technology is not not quite there yet in terms of affordability. Um, and so, you know, we need uh, the federal government to step up and, and figure out how to subsidize some of this to speed it along. I think if um, if we're going to see some real movement towards clean energy, um, as far as, um, you know, wind energy and, and kind of bigger picture solar, some of the utilities are starting to create their own solar programs. Um, but they, you know, they they want to kind of own the infrastructure. And right now, it's not possible legally for um, groups of people to get together and do what's called community solar. So kind of like pull their resources and create a local kind of microgrid um, that would power homes. And, and that's really kind of some of the things that need to start happening in order to move the needle. Um, right now, policy wise, it's not feasible in, or possible in Michigan. Oh, so it's those localized uh, green infrastructure, maybe neighborhoods. Is that not not legally possible, or or what is the what is the obstacle there? There's no uh, it, it, there's no enabling um, legislation to allow for community solar um, projects in Michigan. They're just not they're not possible legally um, at the state level. The state legislature would have to create um, legislation to enable those. And the utilities are not in favor of them because they, you know, they really want to own that infrastructure themselves. Is that even being talked about at all at the state level or is that conversation not even made it to, to Lansing at all? No, it's it's being talked about and there are groups that are, you know, strongly, strongly advocating for it. Um, I don't know right now if there's been a bill introduced, but those bills aren't really getting much traction. We're talking to Nina Ignazek and Brian Allnut of Planet Detroit here on Detroit Today. You can give us a call. I'd love for you to join the conversation talking about the biggest environmental issues happening here in the region, uh, the effects of climate change. Are you concerned about the next few years uh, here in Southeast Michigan, what they might bring? 313-577-1019, 313-577-1019. Would also love if you have uh, some out-of-the-box ideas about how to address some of these issues at the local level. Level. Love for you to talk to us at 313-577-1019. We're going to stay on the issue of these increasing uh, increasing heat and increasing heat waves, Nina and Brian, because another another thing that 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 could and and possibly have a significant effect on on the uh, the effects of heat here in the city is is by planting more trees. Now Detroit has what's called a tree equity score out of eighty nationally what does that mean and how do we compare to new york or cleveland or chicago 
Yeah. Um, so, oh, go, on, Brian. go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So tree tree equity is a metric that uh, was developed by American Forest, which is a national nonprofit. Um, and it assesses whether the benefits of trees, the health benefits, climate benefits, economic benefits um, are equitably distributed across socioeconomic boundaries. And it's a score from zero to 100. So on average, Detroit has a, has a tree equity score of 80, which is better than Cleveland and St. Louis, but worse than Chicago and New York. Um, but a good chunk of the city, so they did it by block group, census block group, um, 286 out of 875 of those were um, below the score of 75, which is kind of their benchmark uh, minimum, and some are as low as 36. So there, there's a lot of tree canopy inequity across the city. Some areas um, have really good tree canopy, um, and some really don't, and that's where the urban heat island effect um, is, is the worst. Well, what are some of the benefits uh, to planting more trees that, that will happen for neighborhood residents? Uh, why do they help mitigate the heat so much? Um, yeah, trees shade structures. They also shade pavement. And um, all of that stuff can contribute to the urban heat island effect where it traps heat during the day and then re-emits it at night, uh, which is an especially big problem when people aren't able to cool down even at night, and trees can have a really big impact. Shaded areas of cities can be as much as uh, 20 degrees cooler than areas that don't have a good tree canopy. But, of course, trees also have mental health benefits. They, they look nice. They help mitigate air pollution. And then they can also help with the flooding issue that we were talking about before. Tree roots can help water infiltrate the soil, but then the canopy itself uh, catches water, intercepts it, and and then it evaporates off the leaves. So it can really reduce the amount of water that's going into the stormwater system. Let's go to a caller right now. Jeff in Royal Oak is calling us. Uh, Welcome to Detroit Today, Jeff. What's on your mind? Uh, I had a question here. We just recently moved from California. I've been in the business of residential and commercial solar, mostly residential out in California when California just um, accepted, if you will, solar. So legislation was passed. So the state looked at a, was able to look at or still looks at a um, solar company as being a utility. Therefore, the power purchase agreement on the residential level has gone above and beyond uh, what they thought was possible in California. Uh, I've been in the Central Valley. My wife and I and family have been in the Central Valley for about 13 years. And, um, yeah, so if the state of Michigan truly wants to be able to take a hold of residential solar, laws have to pass, legislation has to pass in Michigan for the power purchase agreement, uniquely the power purchase agreement for residential in order for it to work. And I was wondering if anybody knew if uh, that was being worked on um, here in Michigan, not for commercial power purchase agreements, but for residential. Um, that I don't know about the power purchase agreements. There are two house bills. I'm just looking it up now because I should know this. Um, that would allow for uh, community solar projects and allow 
individuals and businesses to take a credit on their electric bill. Um, I know that power purchase agreements from individual utilities is another thing that um, utilities have fought against because they want, uh, again, to kind of own all of the infrastructure and recover their costs for operating uh, the infrastructure. So that that part I don't know about. Jeff, thank you so much for calling into the show today. Uh, Nina Ignaziak and Brian Allnett of Plan Detroit are joining us this morning on Detroit Today. We would like to hear from you. Are you concerned about the effects of climate change here in the region? What are your major concerns? 313-577-1019. We will return right after this break to Dave in Farmington. Stay on the line. You can join the conversation. 313-577-1019. This is Detroit Today. Today here on 1019 WDET-FM. I'm Amanda LeClaire. Happy Friday to you. Hope you are doing well out there. And thank you so much for joining the show today. Filling in for Stephen Henderson on this Friday and talking to Nina Ignazek and Brian Allnut of Planet Detroit in Environmental Newsletter doing incredible work. You guys just you guys do great work here for the city. And you can check it all out at planetdetroit.org. Uh, we're going to get to some callers in a few minutes. You can join the conversation at 313-577-1019. Are there particular environmental issues you're concerned about in the city, in the region that are affecting you? Are you concerned about what's going to happen to the region as climate change uh, becomes increasingly uh, difficult to ignore? 313-577-1019. I, you know, Brian and Nina, uh, talking, uh, discussing the rising amount of heat and the uh, expected longer and more intense heat waves and blackouts that, that are expected for this region, one of the issues that causes is an increase in ground-level ozone which uh, can also affect people with asthma and other respiratory difficulties, which is really scary in the, after two years of the pandemic when a lot of people have been hit with COVID-19, mm-hmm. uh, their health is not quite the same as it was. Uh, I'd like to talk about that a little bit. How are the asthma rates and the air quality affected uh, by an increase in heat waves here in the city? Well, asthma, we have an asthma problem in Detroit, um, and it is getting worse. The state of Michigan did a study, um, a follow-up study to one they did um, about five years ago that showed that relative to the rest of the state, um, Detroit's asthma burden was already higher than the rest of the state, and it's it's gotten worse, and uh, particularly in children. So, um, you know, you're probably familiar with Ozone Action Days, um, that we have here in Southeast Michigan because the re- because the reason region is not in attainment for uh, ground level ozone. Um, and so ozone is formed when uh, nitrogen oxides and volatile organic chemicals that are emitted by things like cars and power plants and ind- industrial boilers uh, react with sunlight. And so that can get really bad on hot sunny days, especially in urban environments. And those are the days where you're you're asked like not to, fill up your car with gas and maybe not to run your lawnmower. Um, ground level ozone is a respiratory irritant um, and, and it's definitely an asthma trigger and thought to be one of the many causes of um, people developing asthma. 
Um, and so it could be one of the drivers of why we have such a high, um, disproportionately high asthma rate uh, here in Metro Detroit. And um, I think, uh, you know, we want to mention, too, that there's a proposal right now, uh, the Michigan Michigan's Environmental Regulatory Agency, uh, EGLE, is proposing that uh, US EPA reclassify the region as as meeting air quality standards for ground level ozone because data um, between 2019 and 2021 did show a reduction in ground level um, ozone. You know, however, that data came from during the pandemic, and that's you know we we know that air quality in general got better during the pandemic because people weren't driving and things were slowing down. Um, so there's a push by community groups and organizations to say that, you know, that shouldn't happen because if it does happen and we stop paying attention to ground level ozone and the things that we need to do to control it, um, that's going to make people's asthma worse. And we already have a lot of problems with asthma. Let's go to a caller right now. Dave in Farmington is joining the show. Welcome to Detroit Today, Dave. Good morning. Uh, so the level of coal power is scheduled to still go up in the upper Midwest. Uh, because there's not enough alternatives yet, and solar and wind don't seem to be able to handle it on their own. In Wyoming, they're trying a new nuclear plant that uses molten salt instead of water and hollow rocks that could serve a city like, say, the size of Southfield from a concrete basement. Okay, so that's happening yeah. out in Wyoming. And Nina, I'd like you to, to respond to Dave. What, Dave, are you asking what kind of other what kind of solutions we can have here in the city that uh, are happening in other parts of the country? Batteries can't handle the load, and, and our coal uh, level is still going to keep going up for several more years. Um, with regard to the question of nuclear, uh, I, I think you're going to start hearing more people talk about nuclear as a potential solution. Um, you know, the re- recently the Palisades nuclear plant on the west side of the state uh, was closed and uh, the Biden administration and the Whitmer administration are trying to maybe keep it open. Um, it is true that nuclear does not produce greenhouse gases, uh, but obviously it's... <laughs> There are a lot of other dangers associated with having nuclear um, plants, including the risk of uh, nuclear uh, disaster, of course, but also then the disposal of all of that nuclear waste, which there really is just no good solution for. Um, So I think that nuclear is going to be part of the conversation in the next few years as we reckon with the reality that we're facing and the need to decarbonize. Um, And yeah, I think that, you know, I'm not going to state an opinion on nuclear, but uh, it is going to be part of the conversation. And there are, uh, just as there are challenges with wind and solar and battery storage, there are challenges with nuclear as well. Also, it's very expensive. Thank you so much for uh, your call, Dave, in Farmington. Uh, I think, Nina, you know, the idea of nuclear, while having those kind of benefits you just discussed, I, I would think most people are kind of horrified by the idea of a potential nuclear accident uh, here in the Great Lakes region, this being a incredible, incredibly valuable source here in the world right now, fresh water uh, here. So let's go to another caller. We're li- uh, you're listening to Detroit Today, by the way, uh, with Nina Ignazak and Brian Allnett of Planet Detroit talking about major environmental issues here in the region. Brent in Livonia is joining us. Hi, Brent. Hi, good morning. Good morning. What's on your mind, Brent? Um, 
I live in the city of Livonia, and one major concern I have for climate change uh, in Livonia is that a lot of the large species trees that were planted um, original when the city was created in you know 1950s and 60s, these mature trees are now starting to be removed. Um, some of them because they're at the end of their life. Um, some of them because they are doing street repairs. Um, and these large trees are contributing pretty significantly to a canopy over the residential neighborhoods. And when they're removed, they are either not replaced because the city is allowing the homeowner um, that lives behind the right-of-way where the tree is to make the decision, even though this is city property and um, the property belongs to everybody in the city and these trees are benefiting um, the entire neighborhood and not just the home that it's in front of. And in addition, when they are replanting the trees, they're often planting small or medium-sized species um, which will never contribute to the canopy the same as the large tree, which was cut down. So overall, we're just seeing a reduction in our tree canopy in Livonia. And this is the one time when we should really be seeing an increase in that tree canopy to prepare us for the effects of climate change. Absolutely. Brent, uh, we're going to need to wrap up. But in in what you're saying, have you noticed a, a difference uh, in your neighborhood and in, in how hot the summer has felt? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have noticed it feeling warmer. Um, we've also noticed a lot more noise pollution um, from the neighboring freeways because as we know trees also um, help absorb and deflect noise pollution and so the neighborhood's getting hotter, noisier, and it's just becoming less desirable of a place to live. Thank you so much for the call, Brent. Uh, this is Detroit Today here on WDET. We've been speaking to Nina Ignazek and Brian Allnett of the environmental digital news outlet, planetdetroit.org. I want to thank both of you for uh, being on the show today. And uh, Nina, while we have a second, uh, do you have any particular stories coming up on planetdetroit.org that uh, you want to promote? Uh, yeah, we have a story today uh, about the new uh, Detroit Parks Coalition. They're going to unite uh, local parks advocacy to try to better um, advocate for parks. So check it out. All right. Thank you so much. This has been Detroit Today. Our producers are Sam Corey, Nick Austin, Lisa John Rogers, program directors Joan Isabella, tech director Matthew Trevathan, and uh, our student producers are great as well. Sam Bobian and Will Sessions uh, created our music. I'm Amanda LeClaire filling in for Stephen Henderson. This is 1019 WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station.